Welcome to Householders, a conversation about American life as Zen practice. I'm Inga Annie Wade. And I'm Kyosaku John Mitchell, and we're lay members of the Atlanta Soto Zen Center. You know, I, I feel that, uh, that Buddhism is uh, very concerned with uh, sort of working duties and sort of just uh, living life and, and putting effort into just doing things for the sake of doing them. Uh, you have to cook, so put everything you have into cooking and uh, you have to clean, so you know, focus on the cleaning and learn to enjoy that and stuff like that. But I, I think that people, I, I guess, have this idea, at least, that they're not happy unless they have a purpose in life. And the purpose has to be some sort of higher calling to, I don't know, help the poor or create some sort of meaningful existence uh beyond just doing the regular duties of life do, do, does like be an artist be successful professionally be yeah. all those things count as what you mean by purpose sure i mean i don't i don't want to like poo poo on anybody's purpose you know <laughs> i think they are they're all they're all valid uh things to to live by if, if that's mm-hmm. what you if that's what you want um but being you know um i think any of these these sort of like life goals um you know are probably something that give us meaning uh meaning i don't know like uh, it just gives us a, a feeling like our life has some sort of purpose to it and that we're here for a reason and i mean i i don't I feel like Buddhism is sort of at odds with that. Like, it, like the the well, the reason is because you're here and you're here because that's the reason, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know if 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 it's really a a Western thing to feel like we have to have a calling. I mean, sometimes I think it's like sort of a evangelical Christian thing too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I guess in that way, like God has a calling for you and He has a plan, so. I feel like a lot of, you know, my my um, parents were always trying to find their higher purpose and they would get like really, really excited about something. They would be like, oh, I think I found it. And they would put like all this excited energy into what they thought was their higher purpose. They had finally found like the reason for their existence, whether it was it could be anything. I don't know. Opening a coffee shop or, you know, now I'm going to uh, write a book about the elderly or something that's going to help them. Um, but they were always very concerned with finding that thing that was their calling, that it was a pre-existing thing mm-hmm. that that was already predetermined, I guess. Oh, it was out there for them. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they just had to find it. And that was that was gonna be the thing, um, and I I don't know that I'm necessarily just talking about that, but I think that it can kind of get entwined with anything that we think is going to be like our higher purpose in life. You know, some people might want to I don't know be a lawyer because they're gonna help uh, people with the law or something like that, and um, 
maybe start like some sort of organization to help people. I don't know. How important do you think finding a calling is? Or do you think it's just sort of like a a thing we made up? Mm. Well, I think there's there's two different spaces of meaning in what you're describing. And they have to do with the examples that you're giving of each one, too. Like yeah. the ones that are about social causes or helping others. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, to me, that f- the 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 phrase that comes up is not necessarily higher calling, but maybe like bigger picture versus higher calling. Because if the higher calling is this thing where like there's a there's a plan for you in the universe, mm-hmm. and, and that's what higher means. It's like above your own head as far as like planning it and figuring it out okay trying to discover it that's the thing that feels at odds with buddhism to me because it seems to set up this dichotomy of higher and lower where like higher is you following god's mission for you and lower is like doing the dishes and like mowing the lawn and stuff which is sure as you're saying that stuff is celebrated in zen in particular but buddhism in general as a spiritual activity and i think that people who have a sort of heaven oriented view of life sometimes think of like the body and the world and the material conditions as this like lower situation to Mm -hmm. be cast off and to like the higher purpose I, i see what you mean about it being possibly like a business venture or something like starting a coffee shop or like, you know, some, some, some bigger thing, but it, but it's as part of this plan that like is about transcending your, you know, limited view of yourself. Whereas the stuff that's about helping other people is about fitting into a context of more relationships in the world, which can can have a sort of higher calling component when it's like a story about who you are and why you matter to society. But in terms of actually doing it, this is true of both, but in terms of actually doing it, it's really just a bunch more material mundane world work that you're talking about doing. It's just about changing what it is to sort of fit it into a bigger understanding of who you are and what your relationships are than like sure. one that's based on your but own I don't situation. I think it's more of the means to the end that I'm getting at than the actual like work mm-hmm. that you're doing that the the purpose you're it's it's serving the reason you're doing it like like a finish yeah. line that you're going toward instead of just sort of what's the next skillful thing to do like your life's purpose is to find your calling mm-hmm um, and so you have to find something that fits you that's going to be like your thing. And if that's, you know, if that's like, oh, I'm going to be a successful artist, it could be that too, mm-hmm. you know, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, that it's something that's going to fulfill you. Uh-huh. Well, that sounds risky to me from a Buddhist point of view. Yeah. That there's a finish line of any kind. Well, it's not even about, I mean, I think it is about the finish line most of the time, but these, I, I guess what I'm saying is a, a lot of people think that you need 
one of those to uh, be happy. Mm. Or to motivate yourself. Like even to if you don't your, get even it. To, just to motivate yourself. That's true. E- even if it's not something that you can achieve, having it out yeah. there as like a reason to get up in the morning is like a useful thing. Sure. Yeah, even that. And it it's something that I, I think that is so ingrained in our culture too or even probably a lot of people's cultures i can't imagine it like it seems it seems almost universal at this point Mm -hmm. but um that i don't i don't feel like buddhism really like thinks about things in that in those terms and i almost feel like when when you become more invested in buddhism it's like start questioning some of the the ways that you motivate yourself to uh to to do things to to think about and the way you think about the future mm-hmm. yeah as I'm, sort of these goals and in in ways that you're going to use to fulfill yourself as we've talked about many times when you contain the context of meaning and purpose to buddhist spirituality the idea of a goal of ultimate fulfillment is counterproductive. And that's, you know, like when we're talking about, you know, I'm not using the word because it's not a word that I like to use, but the, you know, the idea, the idea of enlightenment, of getting enlightened as like an achievement of the practice. The, the teaching is always constantly, that's the worst thing that you can do to yourself is to have an end state that you aspire towards and you measure yourself against. Right, right. And and I think that's not necessarily the same thing as uh, as goals or plans of any kind. It's about the importance of the goal, I think. So it's like it makes sense to me in a very ordinary way that wanting to achieve something in your life like let's take like let's even align the goals between Buddhism yeah. and your and like your day to day life of like re- reducing the amount of suffering in your life. So like if you if you if you feel a lot of suffering in your day to day life because you know let's say let's say that you're suffering all the time from feeling from not having from being exhausted from being totally mm-hmm. tired and not getting enough sleep. You know the the there is a goal uh, that you can visualize of feeling more well-rested and energized and healthier in your body. And that goal may be the kind of vision that you need in order to snap yourself out of your habits that are preventing yeah. you from getting sleep or whatever. And like that will reduce your suffering. Like, I think that that would be, that would, that kind of goal could be described as skillful means in Buddhist terms. Okay. But that's not the same thing as a goal of like becoming a successful person or something yeah. that will finally release you from the sort of striving uh, in life. And that seems like a classical Buddhist risk. And it's one that I'm constantly trying to root out in myself, too. Well, yeah. So that's kind of what I, I want to talk about, like the ways that maybe that comes up in our own lives and how we sort of temper that um, kind of striving for mm. um something successful or some sort of higher calling that would once we achieved it would make us happy or something like that Mm -hmm. i don't know um because i i think that 
we do need goals, like you said, and it, you know, we have to somehow have to make certain those goals are, are not just a way, uh, a means to an end, I guess, mm -hmm. a means to, um, supporting a desire that's ultimately not going to achieve what you want it to. Mm. Is this something that you struggle with personally? I have, I think, I think I have, yeah, sure, sure. And I think I just have a fear of it because it's something that my parents struggled with a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that way you told that story was pretty interesting. I want to hear more about that. If that's influential on how you handle it, like your parents having suddenly having huge new ideas about what to do with their lives. It's, it's kind of hard for me to listen to them when they have those ideas. It, it, it almost upsets me when I hear it uh -huh. because they're just so excited and I want to believe in them, but at the same time, they just keep doing this uh -huh. and they keep thinking, you know, that they found the thing that's going to, they've, they've solved the puzzle. They mm. figured out the riddle and now they're they're scot free like they they're they're lightened mm -hmm. you know yeah they just um, have to do the thing they just have to they just have to go sit under the tree for a night and then it'll be over yeah but they're never going to be happy with that mm -hmm. they're never going to be happy even if they did do the thing what's the track they're, record like on their ideas oh it could range from like a couple months to a year and like, do they, do they have things to show for it by the end of that? Or is it, is it like that's, I'm asking sort of over the course Sometimes. of your life, like how, how many times did you see them pulling off the stuff or at least some of the stuff that they, they were get bored. Uh -huh. They don't, they don't like, they, they see it for a while. They never see it through to the end though. Hmm. Um, and it's just something that like, I don't think it was the same in me. Mm -hmm. the same exact thing uh but i i would kind of like have a hard time picking a career path mm -hmm. um because you know there was this idea that you had to pick a career path that was going to be sort of in line with your calling but also that you were going to be happy doing every single day mm -hmm. um so that was really tough because i'm sort of a jack of all trades i could probably do anything um but it's a matter of actually sitting down and, and investing the skills into something, you know, <laughs> that's the hard part. So, um, you know, I've, I've was doing video editing before I was user experience researcher and, you know, I, I tried to do to sell my own artwork for a while. Um, I think at one point I wanted to, to, to do, um, physical therapy. Um, and, you know, I think even a while I had wanted younger years, I'd wanted to be a hairdresser. Mm. Um, I was really, I've always been really good at that. Um, and I mean, I don't, I don't know, like, I, I get why, like, each of them never really panned out. Mm -hmm. And until it did, until I decided, like, we're going to see something through to the end and we're going to do that. Um, but it's not, it wasn't always because of that. Sometimes it was because of my disability that I would, I would start doing it and realize 
I don't think I can physically do this, so we're going to mm. have to, to do something else. Like, after I got my bachelor's degree, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I think I need something a little bit more stable, a little bit more, you know, not running the risk of having to sit on set for long mm-hmm. periods of time, you know, things that I'm going to be able to do physically, and that's when I picked, picked user experience design. But it took me so long to get here. Mm-hmm. And I think it a partly, part of it was because I had these tendencies that have like rubbed off from my parents. The tendency to sort of see it and and become obsessed with it and then hang on to it for a while and then not be disillusioned and let go of it and start over. Like yeah. it's sort of inefficient. At least that's what I'm afraid of. Yeah. I mean, Ian, my husband says that now I don't think you're actually like that. I think that mm. there are reasonable reasons and you know, you're not like you know, you're not going on like a um a a binge or something like mm-hmm. but but I'm still like afraid of that. I'm afraid that I am going to be that way because I don't I don't want to be that person, mm-hmm. you know? Like even in relationships or something you know yeah i mean it's like yeah now i've been with with my now husband for almost seven years but before that it was hard for me to like stick with you know one relationship do you think it for similar reasons because there were like sort of ideals or visions that you yeah yeah Hmm. interesting i mean my right it's just like you know you you want this perfect life and if it wasn't like attainable in that situation then Mm -hmm. it's like oh well move on to a certain degree and i'm simplifying things i don't think it really was all that but i i i'm almost like weaving this because i have this fear of of getting caught in that sort of like um entanglement well fear came up in me as you described it because i think I really seriously did that thing your parents did for a lot of my life. And I think that because my wife has given me that, that feedback, the feedback basically that you are having in yourself about your parents. She's given to me that basically that it's scary, that it's, that it's like hard to stay with and hard to hang on for especially since I drop it and come up with something else pretty regularly and mm-hmm. it can sometimes be something totally different. And I, I'm, I'm saying that in the present tense just because I'm not convinced that I've rooted out this tendency, but okay. I, I do really feel like my life has changed a lot in recent years in, with respect to sort of what my plans are. And I think it's I think it's basically in along this like in, in the scope of this conversation, what has changed is like I, I I have I have realized and maybe it's like having kids that did it or something. But like it's that this was a problem in our 20s when our life was unformed yeah. and we were we were still trying to figure out what the next thing was. And um, maybe something complicating it for me was actually that I was successful at some of these ideas enough to give a hint that I should expand my ambitions for this plan. And like things, things would go well for five years at a time, 
in some particular Mm -hmm. direction. And then it would suddenly come crashing down all around me and I would have to start my whole career over again. And like that was really disorienting for my wife. It was also obviously disorienting for me, but there was a, there was an orientation process happening for me where I was like, what's it? What is it? What is the next thing? What am I missing? What did I miss last time that I need to see this time? Whereas for her, it was just like, what the hell's going on with this guy? What, what is, where is, what is his plan? Uh, and things came together, not really in an orderly fashion, but kind of all at the same time when we got married and when we had kids and when she got ordained and like, you know, life started to sort of fall into place a little bit. And I think what that's left me with actually is just to sort of reckon with the emotional part of what I was doing before by itself without really the sort of tangle of like career and social status and all those other things. Mm -hmm. You know, there's like a lot of external forces reinforcing the tendency that you've been describing. Oh, absolutely. And, And I, and I feel kind of liberated from those at least to a great extent, if not completely. And, and just sort of left to deal with what, whatever that internal drive is in me to, kind of have some um, project of some kind. And it's as though finishing projects is sort of the way that I'm, that I objectively mark my time on earth as valid that like I've put, I've produced something and uh, you know, maybe, maybe you relate to art in a way that's familiar, that where this might sound familiar, but maybe not. Um, but I, but at any rate, like I'm, I'm really, uh, like grateful to have a peer actually who has, who is wary of this tendency having seen it up close because like, that's something I'm having to learn to, to be myself. Yeah. Um, you know, it can, it can affect the the people around you for sure. Like I'm telling you, it's, it's my my parents because you know my dad would move us around a lot. You uh-huh. know, depending on whatever his uh his then uh then goal was. So I must have you know moved around like 20 times as a kid. Wow. Yeah. Um, and they were a lot of them were just short periods of time. Um, so I it gave me a lot of anxiety to uh not know what was gonna happen. Um, and not be able to predict that. Um, but the thing that would happen with my mom, she married my stepdad and he was not, I mean, I guess he had used to be like that, but you know, and it does make me wonder to a certain degree, like how much we go through that in our twenties, uh, uh, when we're still trying to find ourselves, quote unquote. Um, and I think maybe some of that is normal, like, um, you know, developmental kind of, uh, you know, finding your way. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, what if it doesn't go away? Like my parents, like they, they still trying to do that when they're much older and stuff. And, um, you know, I, I think that the tendency has not gone away for me, but I think that I've fought actively fought against it, uh, or successfully fought against it ever since I started practicing meditation. Cause that's, that's when I can mark at least that instead of like trying to to leave when you know we had a bad argument or something in my relationship or like when something wasn't working out to just stop doing it i would i i have seen things through ever since i 
started like you know going to the zen center um six years ago do you think any of your attraction to zen has to do with the the it's it's difference from the environment that you were coming up in in this yeah it just seems so like so much less like um energetic i don't know if that's the right word Mm. but i always feel like you know if you weren't excited about life if you weren't like really going for the gold if you really weren't like striving for something the next thing then you weren't doing life correctly or something Mm. um and i don't think that ever made me happy more than for you know that brief time where you were just at least excited about the new idea right yeah i think I i relate to that for sure even as someone who was consumed by that tendency, just because as soon as it went from the phase of like, here's what it's going to be and here's how awesome it is. It, like it's as soon as it went from the phase of, I can't wait for this to be the rest of my life to the phase of, well, crap. Like, how do I, like, what's the first thing I'm supposed to do? Like there was an emotional crash at that point. And it was pretty early on of just like, oh, God, like now I have to change everything. Now I have to do all this work and drudgery. And yeah, a lot of the time I would give up at that point because I would realize there is no one making me do this. And clearly I don't want to. I mean, I think I think that's actually one of the things that I learned uh, from my Buddhist practice. And maybe maybe this is actually sort of the hint of what uh, of the reason that our tradition teaches this sort of, uh, well, caution about goals is that the, there is a, there is a sense that arises of what the skillful action, like intrinsic action to take next is and what the, what the goal should be. And when it's motivated by this abstract thing, if we believe in that made up goal enough will endure a lot of discomfort and pain and suffering Mm -hmm. in order to keep going when like kind of every signal in our mind and body and heart might be screaming to stop. And I think that as my practice deepened, I, I just kind of got better at hearing that stop signal or the go signal and listening to it. And, and and the go signal doesn't come from the goal either. The goal signal comes from something much bigger than that, which is just like, yeah, yeah this is this is my life. Like my life is the life in which I'm going to do this thing. And it's not about how it turns out. It's about what's happening right now or something like that. So the, uh, the thing I was saying earlier about suffering as the sort of, like ending suffering as the Buddhist goal, like goals can really contribute to suffering by making you not listen to yourself. Yes. And I think, like I said, the tendency hasn't gone away. I, I sometimes just regularly think about like, 
you know, I, I think I'm at a place right now in my life where I, I don't really need to make any goals per mm -hmm. se. Like I, I've achieved a lot and I'm very happy with what I've achieved. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, maintaining that is good enough. And I don't think there's really any need to create these goals, but I still have a tendency to do that. Yeah. And sometimes I'm just, you know, I think I hear it and it, you know, the force is strong with these ones. <laughs> uh, but I will, but I, I think I'm better at being like, do I really want that? Or do I really need that? Or am I just doing that because I think I need it? Mm -hmm. And most of the time I don't really need it. <laughs> yeah. And it's that. It's, it's that thinking you need to have one that sounds, that starts to sound to me like the culture, you yeah. know, we kind of vaguely pointed at it early in the conversation that there's, that there's some, just some culture of, of this and that it's something people expect of themselves and of each other. And it's kind of disconcerting to people when, I, I mean, I, I personally confuse and disorient people all the time when they ask me sort of questions about my goals and ambitions and I give them an answer about like, I don't really have that right now. Or like, I can't, yeah. you know, it's, it's not important to me. Like I, I'm, I'd really rather just like go for a walk than like update my LinkedIn and people, yeah. people like don't know what to do with, with, with that information. And it has, well, it, it's a, it's a, it's, it has this quality of an arms race almost, you know what I mean? Cause yeah. it's like, if, if, if I can let go of it, then they can let go of it. But if they let go of it, then somebody else is going to beat them to the thing that they're trying to get to or something like that. There's like a fear yeah, that, of just, putting it down. Like when I was younger, I would, I would hear the rhetoric of like, oh, this person's 30 years old and they haven't like <laughs> gotten a stable career yeah. or they haven't gotten married or in that whole thing, my 20s. I think that's what the fear in the 20s comes from maybe the tendency stronger then because you're like well it's a race to to 30 years old uh -huh. you have to have those things done by then or else like people are going to think you're a loser yeah, people or are going to talk about you the way that they're talking about other people to you to you right now yeah uh -huh. and i'm starting to see that to people uh with people younger than me that are close to me and i and i feel so bad i'm like i just want them to stop caring as much because it's it's go it's making them miserable. Mm -hmm. It's it's I mean you can't like fix a problem like this, right? Like no. you can't just like implement a fix and do and and solve it for people. But well, but that's why the perception is so important. Yeah. And well, we're, this is this is. Don't you feel like this might be changing, in like really fast? I hope so. It, like it has something to do with the pandemic, you know, like the, the thing that's the thing that's most interesting about sort of the economics of the pandemic to me has been this sort of narrative that they can't fill the jobs like the jobs are back because the economy is back. But but they can't hire anyone to do the jobs. <laughs> and and the yeah. the uh, the media get kind of befuddled by this event, like it doesn't fit the narratives that they have about what economic signals mean and there's one side of it that's obvious it's like people don't want to just be forced like it's still the pandemic's not over and like people don't want to have to just go back to work because the economy says so and then get sick and die like that's a pretty reasonable thing to not want to do <laughs> but i feel like there's a lot more to it than that in a much bigger picture way like people just aren't 
interested in doing the kind of crap that they've been that the that has been made available to them as like the work in our society anymore and there's yeah. there's there's just so many calls for you know and this is still fringe stuff it's not like mainstream american politics but there's so many calls for like basic income support for everyone and you know universal health care so we don't have to have salaried jobs that provide the only affordable reasonable health insurance in our society and you know, childcare as like a universal right. And like people are, people are just saying like, can we solve this structurally so that we don't have to constantly be fighting to become some kind of like social media star, like some, like whatever, whatever it is that makes you successful in this, in this world, like someone that people will tell good, positive stories about celebrity, I guess is what I mean. Like, like that's sort of the only win state of this of this you know horrible game that's or somehow you like just win a bunch of bitcoin and like become independently wealthy right just cash out of everything yeah yeah <laughs> like, like that's that's right exactly that's the other escape hatch people are starting to build is like like let's exit the financial system and come up with some uh you know completely materialistically based way of of refusing to participate in this status game and and it's yeah i mean it's crumbling from all sides and and i i don't know that i could say like what what outcome i want but i could definitely say you know in specific sort of what does the world look like terms but i can certainly say that there are more meaningful you know meaning was sort of where we started there are more meaningful things, meaning, more meaningful ways to go through a day than sort of measuring yourself against some future state or goal. And the meaning comes from how valuable it is as an experience to you. And it's not about fitting it into some story imposed from somewhere else. And and what what I really wonder is, if we had a whole society full of people with the skills to find meaning in whatever's happening rather than in some future goal, you know, what would happen just naturally to the way that society funnels us into that kind of life? Householders is a production of the Atlanta Soto Zen Center in Atlanta, Georgia, and the Silent Thunder Order. Find us on the web at ASZC.org. Our Sangha depends on your support. You can donate by PayPal to donate at storder.org. Gashou.